So, uh, for our message to begin this morning, I want to ask you uh, what your favourite shipwreck movie is. Bit of a strange question in some way, <laughs> favourite shipwreck movie, but uh, it might be Cast Away, so obviously a very, very famous movie. Uh, it could be The Life of Pi, so uh, it's one of my favourite books and they made that into a great movie. Uh, or it could be a series like Lost, uh, but have you got a shipwreck movie in mind, or a stranded island movie maybe that's your favourite. There's something that captivates us about the terror of the sea and the idea of being stuck out on the ocean with everything falling apart, and then the potential of being stranded on a deserted island and what that would look like and having to make friends with a volleyball. <laughs> Today, we are going to look at a story that honestly could be made into an amazing blockbuster movie. Like, as I was processing through it this week, I was like, someone should make a movie about this because it's really, really great. But there are some very, very helpful lessons in it as well as we wrap up this series that we've been doing over the last six or seven weeks. So we have been spending this time uh, asking this question, where to from here? And recognising that as a church, we're in a new season and a new chapter with everything that's happening around us, uh, and particularly the looming decision about what we're going to do about our building. Uh, there's an opportunity for us to start a new chapter. But what do we take with us into that new chapter? And so we've spent some time uh, with the early church, digging into their levels of uncertainty and all the craziness that was going on for them to be able to say, what are some lessons that we can learn from uh, some snapshots that we have explored? And so over the last few weeks, uh, we've wrestled with whether the, the message of Jesus is something that's supposed to make us comfortable or something that is meant to be confronting and take us on an adventure. We have talked about uh, what it looks like to be empowered by the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit and to recognise that the very same Holy Spirit that was available to the early church is still available to us today. We've talked about what it looks like uh, for us to process what happens when we encounter challenges and oppositions. Are we willing to continue to take simple steps of obedience in that or do we get distracted and run away? Are we responding to the nudges of the Spirit? That as we take those simple steps, often we will have these little nudges where God will open up the doors for us to be able to have extraordinary conversations that can lead to bigger things. And then last week, Melinda helped us to wrestle with whether we're willing to pray big prayers and what that looks like, what our expectation is when we come to pray together. And so my hope is that uh, it's been helpful, that it's been challenging, that it's been inspiring for you, uh, and I certainly have really, really appreciated being able to dig into it and uh, being able to listen to the different messages that we've had, but I recognise that that's like just the beginning. It's always tempting when we get to the end of a series, say, well, that's that done, we've got that all, let's move on to the next thing. But there's so many principles in this that we are going to need to hold on to as we move forward uh, into the months and uh, the years ahead. So today we're going to have a look at Acts chapter 27. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Acts 27. If you've got the Bible app, uh, then you can open up and you see our teaching notes there. You go to more down in the bottom right corner and then events. Uh, if you have your journal or uh, your notebook with you and you want to take notes, that's great. So, a little bit of context for where we're getting through today. Last week, Melinda thought that we jumped a lot <laughs> when we jumped two chapters. Like, there's a little bit that went on. This week, we're jumping the whole rest of Acts. So, just a reminder, this wasn't an Acts series. This was very intentionally just some snapshots from Acts. Uh, but a reminder about what's happened. So, we have been journeying with the early church, this group of people who spent time with Jesus and uh, then came together as community to try and process what that meant for them to continue without Jesus physically with them. 
And so uh, we know that as they shared the message of Jesus, people found healing and wholeness and freedom and uh, all sorts of exciting things happened. The church grew. Uh, There's this massive sense of community that was growing and things are going fantastic. And then they experienced some very significant persecution that kicked in, including the deaths of a number of key leaders of the early church. But that persecution scatters them to a whole bunch of other places that they possibly wouldn't have gone if it hadn't been for the the persecution. And so they end up spreading the message of Jesus even further. And as we briefly skated past last week, uh, the conversion of Paul was a very significant moment in the early church. This guy who was one of the key enemies of the church became one of the most influential and important leaders of the church. And so Paul is one of the key characters through the rest of Acts who then takes the message of Jesus to city after city to try and help people to understand the ways in which Jesus is already at work in their context to be able to help them to understand what Jesus has come to do and what it looks like to trust in Jesus, but also forms these communities that are called churches so that people can journey together as they continue to explore what that looks like. And so that continues to expand and spread out, but you've got all these people who are coming from all of these different backgrounds, all of these different cultural backgrounds, all of these different religious backgrounds, all of these different socioeconomic backgrounds, all mixing together and supposedly trying to be one and have a sense of equality with one another. And so part of what we see through the story of Acts is also the complexity of what it looks like to take people who come from all sorts of different places and try and unite them around Jesus. And so there were lots and lots of questions that the church had to wrestle with. What are the baseline requirements of being someone who follows Jesus? What are the entry requirements? What are the practices that are really, really important? Do people need to convert to Judaism first in order to follow Jesus, or don't they? What's non-negotiable? All these questions the early church had to wrestle with, and I think it's fair to say we haven't solved most of that. So today, we continue to wrestle with these same questions about what are the baseline things, what are the things that are negotiable, non-negotiable, and as we wrestle with the culture around us and people coming from all sorts of cultural backgrounds, we have to wrestle with these same questions. The religious leaders are very frustrated with the ways in which the church is processing all of that, and so they continue to persecute the church and look for ways to try and snuff out this revolutionary movement that's happening. And so Paul, as one of the key figures in all of that, is arrested, and uh, so he's then taken before the religious council, but he is a Roman citizen, and so he lays that card down on the table and says, ha ha. I'm Roman, just try and stop me. And so they say, oh, sorry, Paul. And so they send him to the governor, and then they send him to the king, and then ultimately he gets put on a ship as a prisoner to get taken to Rome so that he can go and see Caesar. And so in chapter 27, that's where we pick this story up. So Paul is on a boat with a whole bunch of other prisoners and a whole bunch of other people, and they're setting sail uh, for Italy, not for a vacation, but so that they can go uh, to prison and to see Caesar. And Paul has told them this is not a good idea to go at this time of the year because there's all sorts of storms that are brewing because of the seasons that they're in. And so he's trying to say, let's just wait this out. But they are like, no, no, we know better than you, Paul. We're going to go anyway. Sure enough, they do encounter a whole bunch of storms. And so they try to solve their problems by throwing luggage overboard, throwing all sorts of things out. They try and tie the ship together with ropes so that it wouldn't break, which I just think is hilarious and an amazing picture. They try all of these different ports and hope that maybe they can find shelter there and that things will be okay. 
but ultimately nothing seems to work. And so we pick things up in Acts 27, verse 22. And Paul says this, Take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for we will sh- uh, you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. And I'm (laughs) kind of one of these situations. Do you want the good news or the bad news? (laughs) The good news is that I had an angel come and visit me last night, and he told me we're all going to live. I am definitely going to go and see Caesar, so good news, guys, everyone's going to survive. The bad news, the ship's not going to survive. (laughs) We are going to be shipwrecked, and all of us are going to be okay. Good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. It's kind of complex. Sure enough, things do continue to get very, very rough, and so then we have this funny story where some of the sailors decide that they'll take things into their own hands, and they decide they're going to steal one of the lifeboats, and so then we've got this, what I see is an image of Paul kind of standing there watching them, (laughs) and then they kind of look at him, and Paul's like, guys, what did I tell you? If you leave, you'll drown. So you can take that lifeboat if you want, but you'll drown, or you can stay on the ship with us, which will sink, but you'll live. Take your pick. <laughs> and so they end up cutting the lifeboat free and uh, they stay on the ship and sure enough, they survive. Then we have this fascinating interaction. Verse 33. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good. For not a head of your hair, a hair of, head of, your, hair, a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. So, important to note, this isn't like a small, tiny little boat. This is, most people would say, a ship probably could fit 600 people on it. So this is a big ship that we're talking about. So keep that in mind as it's falling apart. But it's amazing to me that in the midst of all this chaos that's going on around him, Paul has the presence of mind And the clarity to be able to say, everyone, just take a breath. You haven't eaten anything for two weeks. You need to sit down and you need to eat something. So he does exactly that. He grabs some bread, he sits down, he thanks God for his provision, rips off some bread and eats it. (laughs) And everyone else is like, that's a great idea. We should do that as well. And so they do. So this is a very helpful principle for us. When things fall apart, we need to go back to basics. When things fall apart, we need to go back to basics. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling, so often I end up going to very unhealthy places, not necessarily focusing on the basics and the things that are most important. So for me, when things are getting a bit out of control and there's lots that's happening and I've got lots of things that I need to do, I can be tempted sometimes to go in a bit of a frenzy mode and to just try and get stuff done. And sometimes that can mean that I forget to eat. So it's like, I'll just, I'll just get this thing done and this thing and this thing and then lunch and now it's three o'clock and I forgot and so sometimes that happens. Or late afternoon, got to get stuff done, got to get stuff done and now it's late and I haven't eaten any food. If I can just get these things done on my task list, I'll feel better, but I neglect the simple things. 
Sometimes I'll also admit that uh, I can have a sense of entitlement when I've been working really, really hard that I should be allowed to stay up really late. I'm sure I'm the only one who has this issue, but I've been working really, really hard, so I should be able to stay up and watch an episode of my favourite show, or a couple of episodes, or maybe three episodes, and now it's super late, but I deserve this because I've been working really hard, so I should have some time to be able to relax. Or sometimes I'll admit that in the morning I get up and I just want to get into things. And so I've got all of these things on my to-do list that I know I want to get into. So while I'm eating breakfast, crack open my laptop and start working immediately and just get into it without having spent any time doing the things that I know are really, really important. What does that look like for you? And there's a lot going on when you're in the midst of storms, <laughs> when you're in the midst of shipwrecks, things that are happening in your life. Where do you turn? What are the things that happen for you? Some of you may relate. You may also go into frenzy mode, try and get your task list done, stay up late out of a sense of entitlement. Some of us might go into shutdown mode, just shut the whole world out, I'm not going to talk to anyone and just try and cope on my own. Some of us overeat, some of us undereat. A lot of us, I suspect, don't eat the right things. <laughs> and the worst version of this is that this can stray towards addiction where we end up pursuing things that we know are really not very healthy for us at all and have a huge impact on us, but we want to numb what's going on. And so we pursue things that end up becoming addictive behaviours for us. So what does focusing on the basics when things fall apart look like? Well, for me, it really is the simple things. Go to bed at a decent hour. Just make the decision, say, no, I'm not going to watch that. I'm just going to go to bed because I know that's actually the best thing for me. Drinking enough water, staying hydrated, actually feeling good about having enough water in my body to keep going, eating food, eating the right food, doing some exercise, even if that's just going for a walk, but doing something to move physically, spending time in the morning with Jesus, slowing down, being able to read some scripture, being able to do some journaling, being able to do some breathing prayers, and even if it's just for a few minutes, to reconnect with Jesus. I've talked before about how important practicing gratitude is for me to shape the whole direction of what my day is going to look like. I wonder what that is for you. What are the back-to-basics things for you when things are falling apart that you know you need to do but are often so hard to make decisions around? These things are so simple, and we know they make a difference, but they're so hard for us to make decisions about when everything's a bit out of control. Now, the expectation for us could be, because they've gone back to basics, and because Paul has been so clever in being able to say, guys, let's just focus, have something to eat, everything is going to turn out fine. That by slowing down, by eating by praying, by redirecting everyone's attention, that what's going to happen is that the situation will change, that they will end up being rescued or that the storm will die down and everything's going to be totally fine. Let's read on and see what happens. Verse 39, when morning dawned, they didn't recognise the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. 
The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held onto planks or debris from the broken ship, and so everyone escaped safely to shore. They still get shipwrecked. Things get significantly worse for them. The ship completely falls apart, and they end up stranded on this desert island. But because they've taken care of the little things, they have the strength to be able to endure. They have the strength to be able to take the next step and to go into the next thing. So it is important for us to name that focusing on the basics doesn't necessarily mean that everything will turn out great, that everything will get solved. But we're far more likely, if we focus on the basics, to be able to keep going, to endure and to persevere and to be aware of what God is doing if we've done the little things. The challenge as we then kind of pause and think about the rest of Paul's journey is to wrestle with whether things turn out well or not for Paul. So they end up getting stranded on this desert island. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The next story that we have of Paul is him saying, we need to make a fire. Again, get back to basics. So they grab all this wood, they make this big fire, but inside of one of the logs that they put on the fire is a snake. And so when they start burning the wood, the snake's like, this is not fun, and jumps out, and so the snake bites Paul on the hand. Good thing, bad thing, bad thing. (laughs) So the islanders are convinced that this proves that Paul is really, really guilty uh, because obviously the snake bit him and so his hand's going to swell up and he's going to die. But that doesn't happen. Paul shakes the snake off, which again, I think would be very funny to see. (laughs) Shakes the snake, and uh, that's very hard to say. And his hand doesn't blow up and he doesn't die. So the islanders are like, this guy must be a god because he didn't die from the poisonous snake. Good thing, bad thing. Paul ends up getting taken to uh, the chief officer of the island, gets looked after for three days, then finds out that the chief officer's father is really sick. So he prays for his father uh, and he's healed. So the islanders are even more excited and so they bring lots and lots of people to Paul. He prays for them, they're healed, they're cured. All these great things are happening. But they're stuck on this island for three months. This is not a short amount of time. Good thing, bad thing. Well, three months later, finally a new ship comes along. But remember where Paul's going. To Rome, because he's a prisoner, so that he can go and face Caesar. So he isn't like set free on this ship. He's put on a ship to get taken to Rome, where he's in house arrest for the next two years. But while Paul is in Rome... He writes, we understand, at least the letters to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and Philemon. So these books that we value so much were written while Paul was in house arrest in Rome. Good thing, bad thing. Well, Paul is eventually released from prison, and so he gets out and about for about another four years, goes and visits a whole bunch of other places, goes back to some of the churches that he's planted, but then he's re-arrested. He's brought back to Rome, He's tried, and this time he is executed. And our understanding is that 2 Timothy was written in Paul's final days, leading up to his execution. So I've been really challenged this week, as I've been thinking about all of this, about whether we focus on being faithful and focusing on the little things, getting back to basics, just so that we can get to the victories and successes, 
or whether Jesus is actually up to something significant in the midst of the storms that we go through, in the midst of our shipwrecks, in the midst of us being stranded in desert places? Are we just waiting for the happy ending and hope that if we endure the right way and do the things that we've been told to do, that God will give us the result that we want? Or do we embrace this idea of going back to basics so that we can simply see what God is doing in the here and now, whatever that looks like? Zooming in so that we can be aware that Jesus is and wants to be with us, no matter what's happening in our lives. I'm still processing a lot about that. I've spent all week trying to sort it out so to have something very profound to say. It's just a question that I'm continuing to wrestle with. But the other reason that I wanted to uh, finish our series with this story is because this story of Paul getting shipwrecked is also being used more and more regularly as a metaphor for where the church in the West is at. I have now heard three talks at workshops or conferences over the last two years of people using exactly this text as an illustration, a metaphor, or maybe a message in a bottle, uh, for us about the state of the church. We know that the church in the West has struggled a lot over the last couple of decades, and there's lots of reasons for that, which I'm certainly not going to get into today. But by and large, we know that we're not in a super healthy place. We are certainly not in any way the centre of the community that we once were. And so in some ways, we, by and large, are a bit like the ship that Paul was on. We've been smashed around by the waves that are hitting us. We're falling apart in all sorts of ways. We've been guilty often of trying to do things in our own strength. If we can just wrap the ropes around the ship, maybe it'll stay together a little bit longer. Maybe if we chuck some stuff overboard, we'll be okay. We've got people who've done unhelpful things like the sailors trying to steal the lifeboat. But the question that's been posed when I've heard those different talks is whether we're holding on to pieces of the wreckage in the hope that it's going to stay afloat. Whether we're holding on to something that just needs to fall apart whether the anchors that we've been holding on to need to be cut so that we can actually make it to where it is that we need to go. What are we doing in the church? Are we just going to keep trying harder? Are we just going to try and do things in our own strength? Are we going to try and fight against the storms that we're experiencing? The metaphor has been used to say, as churches, maybe we need to get back to basics as well. Or... Maybe we need to wait until a new ship comes along. New structures or new ways of being church. I would argue maybe it's old ways of doing church that have new life or being done in new ways. But it's a valid question. We can't go back to where we were. So what does it mean for us to go forward? Those are key questions for us as we move into next year and beyond that we need to wrestle with as a church as well as the churches around us that we're in partnership with. What do we take with us? What do we leave behind? What are the most important things for us to focus on? So this morning, as we wrap up our message, I want to give us an opportunity to just process what it looks like for us to go back to basics. What are the essentials that you know that you need to focus on, regardless of what's going on in your life right now? For those of us particularly who are experiencing storms and shipwrecks and maybe feel like we're a bit stranded, this is really, really important for us to just say, this week, what are the basics? What are the things that I need to go back to? So in your spiritual walk, what are the basics for you? Is it a commitment to engaging with Scripture in one way or another? Taking time to pray, to 
taking time to just sit with Jesus, committing to spend time with other people, whether that's here on a Sunday or throughout the week in different ways, whether that's in our groups or just catching up with some people for a coffee. Physically, what are the basics for you? Eating, sleeping, drinking enough water, doing some exercise. Are there back-to-basics things that we need to do? Mentally, what does it look like for us to go back to basics? Switching off our devices, getting off of our phones and giving our brains a bit of a break. Focusing on the things that we know are healthy for us, like practicing gratitude and practicing generosity. What is it for you? What would you say is one or two things that you know this week you need to get back to basics on? Regardless of what you're going through right now, where do you need to go back to basics? I'm going to give us some time in the silence. It was great that Pam shared that scripture earlier. Be still and know that I am God. In the stillness, in the quiet, to know that Jesus is with us, no matter what we're going through. What does it look like to go back to basics with him? We're going to take a couple of moments to process that, and then we're going to transition across to communion.